Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Great way to start is to buy a duplex or triplex and live in one of the units because it'll cut your expenses and it'll get you the quote-unquote experience as a real estate investor that banks or other lenders might be looking for. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too. And make a determination on the max purchase price. Super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. With us today, Eric Bolin. How you doing, Eric? Good. How you doing? I'm doing well and nice to have you on the show. Eric is a real estate investor and founder of IdealREI.com. He started investing in multifamily in 2009 and has accumulated a total of 26 units since. And he's moved to Dallas, Texas. He's originally investing in Massachusetts and quit working at the age of 30 in 2016 and now lives off residual income. His goal is to transition into larger multifamily units this year based in Cowtown, otherwise known as Fort Worth, Texas, where I'm from. With that being said, Eric, you want to get the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Yeah, sure. Hey, thanks for having me. Like you just mentioned, I started in 2009. I bought a three-family and I lived in it. 
and I rented out the other two units, and I was basically living for free. And I was actually going to grad school at the time. I had an epiphany one day. Somebody paid me the rent, and I decided this is what I'm doing forever. So I actually left the program not long after that, and I uh, started to get into real estate full-time, buying more properties until I accumulated the 26 rental units that I have. I was able to quit working. So that's everything in a nutshell. Now what I'm trying to do is kind of, I like to call it playing Monopoly. I'm turning those small greenhouses into the big red hotels. I'm trying to start selling those and move into larger multifamily properties. You have 26 units and you're living off the residual income. I mean, shoot, you've reached a promised land, right? Like that is what the majority of investors are, are looking for. What job did you have that was initially funding this and how have you been able to scale so quickly? Well, when I bought it, it was, I don't even know how I got a loan for the first property. I was working two part-time jobs and I was a grad student. So I have no idea how I got the loan, but I did. It was FHA, so that's how I got the first one. How I continued after that, I'm actually in the National Guard. I deployed overseas, and after a year over there, I had a decent amount of seed money. So when I came back, everybody else was buying new cars and motorcycles and going out drinking or whatever, and I bought more property with that money. So that's how I did that. That's where I got the money. So I didn't actually have any other job. I did work as a realtor, and I was a licensed contractor, so I did some side stuff for that. Outside of real estate, I didn't have like a career. I was just working full-time every day, everything related. And the way that I was able to actually leverage up fast is because I found a local bank that would do commercial portfolio loans for me. So as long as I could either provide the down payment or pay cash and then refinance later, I could keep getting more loans. There was no limit. Hmm. Okay. Where was the local bank? In Massachusetts? That's right. Yep. It was in central Massachusetts. They only had eight or 10 branches. Okay. What's the name of the bank? Webster 5 was my favorite bank, but I also use a smaller bank, also Bay State Savings. Okay. And they did a portfolio loan and that allowed you to put all the properties under one loan and you're able to, what, cross-collateralize? No, they're not all under one loan, but they hold them all in-house so they don't have to meet whatever federal regulations. And plus, because I purchased everything in an LLC, they were just doing business-to-business lending. So they were comfortable with me and my experience in real estate after owning the first property for a few years or a couple of years. And so they just kept lending and they just hang on to them. And you were getting the new chunks of change to put down as a down payment through what method again? My core method was to purchase the properties in cash. They were pretty cheap back in 2011, and with my deployment, I had a decent amount of money. So I would pay cash, do a little bit of renovations, and then refinance them after about six months. And then you'd use those refinance proceeds and buy another and just rinse and repeat. Exactly. Yep. So like I could refinance, get most of them. I got all my money back plus some, but some of them I got most of my money back and left a little bit in the deal, but that's exactly how I did it. Yeah. Mm. What was your first property? Let's start there. I'm curious about that. The first property that I bought, I actually lived in it. It was three units. I lived on the first floor and it it was a dump. It was a terrible place. (laughs) And when I moved in, it it has a parlor heater. It's don't know. If anybody's even familiar with that outside of the region, it's just a, uh, it's like a space heater that runs off natural gas. So they had one of those in the kitchen 
And when I moved in, it didn't even work, and it was November. So that was the first thing I had to get fixed. The siding's terrible. Everything about the house is horrible. But it was my home, and I did a lot of the work and renovated it myself. So and that was <laughs> my first property. I actually still own it. I just refinanced it recently. Are you selling properties? You said you actually still own it, so that leads me to believe you've been selling a couple? No, it's been a long time, and I should have sold it a long time ago because it's still not a great place in a great neighborhood. So it's probably my worst property just because it's nostalgic. I still have it, and it still does have some cash flow. So, mm-hmm. What would you say is the main thing you did to increase the value where you're able to refinance and take that money and put it into property number two? So that property, I didn't refinance until more recently. So it was my second property that I used my deployment money on that I really got started on, on the strategy. And that one was, my strategy actually was the landlord strategy. So Massachusetts is very tenant friendly. And so I found a lot of value in finding properties that had been mismanaged by the landlords and they wanted to sell the property at a discount just to get it out of the deal and walk away. So that's how I found my niche on my second property, which coincidentally is probably my best deal. I can go into that now or I can wait until later. Yeah, if you let's want do me it. To. Let's do it. All right. So that property was on the market for 150000 as four units. And the owner had moved to Florida and she left her son in charge of it. Unfortunately, her son was a heroin addict, and he basically would do anything for just to get some money for his addictions. It only took him a couple of years, and he ran the whole property down into the ground. The mother wanted just to walk away from this because she was retired. So it was on the market for one fifty. I offered $65,000 for it. The realtor almost didn't even put, <laughs> put the offer in for me, but I <laughs> convinced them to, and she countered back at 75000 so that's what I got it for. Mm. I put about $15,000 worth of work into it because it did need a little bit of work. The The bones of the property were good. problem was all the tenants. I got lucky. Most of the tenants moved out pretty easily with very little involvement from the court. I put all great tenants in it, pasted all the carpeting, put some laminate floors in, did about 15000 work. Six months later, I refinanced it, appraised out at 180 And now today, it's probably worth two twenty-five. Mm. Have you gone back and refinanced a second time on any deal? No, I haven't. I have not done that. Okay. The loans that I have, because they're commercial, they all have prepayment penalties. Oh, got it. And it hasn't been good enough to make me want to pay the prepayment penalty to refinance it again. Right. Yep. Makes sense. So that's the second deal. And I can tell when you perked up when you're talking about you really like that deal. What'd you do with the third one? The third one was a two-unit, and that was a, basically collapsing. I got that one for 60000 roughly, and I put about $50,000 worth of work into it. The support had rotted out. I had to jack the whole house up 10 inches. So that was the value add on that one was nobody wanted to touch it. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. Because I was licensed, I could get the work done very cheaply. Got that house leveled off. Put about fifty thousand work into it. When I refinanced it, I was able to pull one hundred five out. So I had only five thousand dollars left in the house after I refinanced. Mm. You're doing all the work yourself. For that second property, I had some subcontractors that were working for me that did the majority of the work, and I was just overseeing them at that point. 
and you use the profits from the second property to put in, to buy the third, right? Right, yeah, because the first property, I got all my money back plus about $40,000 I put in my pocket. So I had a ton of money at that point. Mm-hmm. Let's just keep going through their progression. Let's keep going to the properties. I think with your story, we can get the most value out of just hearing how you went from property to property because normally I wouldn't do this linear time frame or timeline, but with you, it's important. So let's keep rolling. You can just keep rolling into the properties. All right, let me think. So after that deal, I actually bought a townhouse for myself and I kind of flipped it to myself the same way. I bought it cheap, did some work on it, refinanced and got my money back plus some, which gave me even more for the business. And then I moved into that and the rent from the place I was living in previously covered all the expenses in the townhouse I was living in. So that was the next one. And oh geez, what was next? I think I bought the trailer park after that. I got a five unit trailer park as well. Five unit trailer park. Yeah, it's like a old leftover. It's the only trailer park in the city. Mm. That's more of a long-term land play. My initial thought was, haven't they paid you enough to buy you out and put something else there? That's what I initially thought. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, so it's it's got a good commercial zoning on it in a great area that I think be another five years or something, there'll be a commercial building there. But for now, it's a five-unit trailer park. <laughs> I actually just sold this this week. There was one vacant trailer on it that had been evicted prior to me purchasing it. I just sold that trailer. It was run down. I sold it for a dollar just to give it away so I can start collecting a lot fee on that one. But anyway, so I bought the trailer park. And because the previous owner, so the play, also the value on that, the previous owner had written off every expense you could possibly think of for the property, so basically earned nothing or very close to nothing. So when I purchased it and then just started recording the expenses properly, it basically doubled in value. I earned about $100,000 in equity on that. Mm. So just by recording the rent and expenses properly, so when I do go to sell it, if I sell it as a trailer park, just based off of its cap rate, it would just be worth a lot more. But I think it's worth more as a commercial building. Anyway, so that, that was that. Then... I think, I think the next one after that, it's hard to remember because this is over the course of five or six years. <laughs> the next one was an interesting story as well. That I picked up, I actually foreclosed against the bank on this one. So what happened is the previous owners got their foreclosure notice from the bank. They moved out. The bank took possession of it, but they wouldn't sell it. And so it sat vacant for five or six years and you can imagine what happens to the house after five or six years nobody being in there especially up north with the weather conditions so the whole thing was just falling apart eventually the state stepped in and with all the health code violations took them to court and they appoint with a receiver and i was on the state's receivership list so they appointed me to it so i paid for all the work and i got a super lean position and then after the work was done i just foreclosed against the bank and took possession just for the cost of repairs. Hmm. That was another one. And then the last couple deals that I bought, because I moved to Texas, so the last couple deals that I bought have been why, a lot less hands-on. Why'd you move to Texas? <laughs> That's a funny story. Every story is just kind of interesting. So two years ago in Massachusetts, we had the worst snowstorm in history ever recorded. We got 36 inches of snow. Back then, I was 
still hands-on managing everything. I snowboarded all the properties. took me like 15 hours. The next morning, I told my wife that I want to go on vacation somewhere warm. She's like, all right, where do you want to go? And I said, let's go to Texas. We've never been there. And she's like, okay, where do you want to go? I said, tomorrow. So we packed up the car the next day, drove down to Texas, turned it into a little road trip. I got to Dallas. I spent about a week here, went back to Massachusetts after that, and decided to move. A month later, I went down to Dallas first, got an apartment, and she packed up the house and followed me down about two, three months later. Mm. <laughs> You're a person of action, aren't you? Yeah, once I make a decision, I just go for it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. All right, so you're now in Dallas. Are you in Dallas or Fort Worth? Dallas. Dallas. Oh, you're in I'm Dallas. I'm north of Dallas. I'm, I'm in Plano, yeah. You're in Plano. Okay, cool. Good area. What have you done since you're now in Dallas? You buying in Dallas, Fort Worth? No, I actually, I meant to start a couple of years ago, but... I just kept finding good deals in the areas that I knew back in Massachusetts. So I kind of transitioned and started partnering up with family members and friends that wanted to invest and started using their money to buy small multifamily properties in Massachusetts. So I did that a few times, not, no crazy deals or anything like what I got started doing. And I just started accumulating. And then that's kind of where I'm getting into my new areas. I realized I can put together other people's money and buy even bigger stuff. So it's kind of just been a progression. What was the example structure that you did with a family member on a deal? So the first one, a family member has a kid and they want a long-term residual income that was better than what they were getting. So they would be happy with anything double-digit returns. I found a deal that basically I said, I'll buy it, manage it, and take care of any upfront renovations. You put your money in as the down payment and we'll split all the rent and equity 50-50. And that gave them something like a 14% return on their money. So they were okay with it. And so we put a little bit of money in up front on renovations, but not much, maybe 10000 They put in about forty or 50000 and that was the deal that we did. It worked for them, worked for us. So They have part ownership in it? Yes, they do. Okay. All right. They're owners. They're not just getting a return on their money, but they actually have equity ownership in the property. Right. We'll split the equity with them uh, 50-50 whenever we do so. Okay, cool. What is your worst performing property? I think I know based on what you said. I think it's the first one, but I want to hear it from you. Right. Yeah. So the worst one is definitely the first one I ever bought because I didn't buy it to be an investor. I thought it, my wife and I were both going to grad school and we wanted a home. And we wanted to be near school, and just the way the region is and the city is, there's only these small multifamilies, these two to four unit buildings around there. So that's what we ended up in. So it wasn't a great deal. It just kind of cash flows. It's not a great area of the city, so it doesn't have great tenants most of the time. So there's a lot of a lot of issues and problems and repairs that we have to take care of. So that's definitely the worst one. And we were just kind of lucky that it actually turned out to pay us well. So compared to what else was out there, it was a decent deal, but that's why it was the worst deal because we weren't looking for deals. For an investor who's listening to this conversation and they say to themselves, yep, I want that, what is your advice to them? My biggest advice is don't be afraid to offer what it's worth to you 
basically I say forget about what the asking price is. Don't even look at the asking price. Put your offer together, figure out what it's worth to you, and then put that offer in unless it's what it's worth to you is more than the asking price. Because sometimes people will take a lot less than a property. And if you have a real estate agent say, nah, that'll never go. That may not work. It depends on your market and time in the market. But if it's only worth a certain amount to you, then don't offer more than what it's worth to you. How many offers did you make before you got your first deal? My home or my first actual deal? First actual deal. Okay, so that probably 10. That's it? The market back in 2011, 2012 was a lot more depressed than it is now. Mm-hmm. You could do a lot less sorting through what was available in order to find a deal. If you had to tell the same best ever listener who wants to replicate this, something that they should watch out for that you've stubbed your toe on, what would that be? Let's see. So the biggest mistake that I ever probably made was hiring family to help me out. Without going into too much detail, I'll just say when you have a family member, if they don't do what you want them to do, it's really hard to fire them. Yeah. So pay a little bit more, get somebody else because you can fire them. You can't fire your brother, cousin, uncle, whoever. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would second that. I haven't hired, I don't think I've hired family members. No, I haven't. But being in business with friends who are really, really close friends or, or something, it's just, it gets really tough when people aren't performing and figuring out how to... To piggyback on that, don't ever rent to them either. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, good point. Good point. Just in general business. And and there might be some best ever listeners who are like, I'm in business and with my spouse or my husband or wife or and it's going really well and more power to you. Keep on rolling. But just generally speaking, there's always exceptions, but generally speaking, I, I agree with that advice. Well, hopefully you can do business with your wife or your husband, but that's different than your cousin or your brother or your sister. There's definitely a difference. I'm going to stretch your brain a little bit because you already said your advice, but now I've got to officially ask you the question because we've got this whole fun music that leads up to the question. So we got to ask it officially. you got to come up with something new. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever? Well, I can give you something new. If you're just getting started off and you're having a hard time either coming up with the money to buy an investment great way to start is to buy a duplex or triplex and live in one of the units because it'll cut your expenses and it'll get you the, the quote-unquote experience as a real estate investor that banks or other lenders might be looking for. Oh, yeah. Do it. Do it, best ever listeners. I would have if I was not living in New York City at the time when I was starting to invest. It just doesn't work that way in Manhattan. You can't just drop... and get yourself a fourplex in Manhattan. And to play devil's advocate, if I was really focused on that, I could have moved to New Jersey or somewhere else and commuted in every day. So there's always a a way, but I chose not to. But yeah, definitely, if it makes sense based on your market, which probably 90% of the listeners it does, then buy a duplex, triplex, fourplex, Live in one side, run out the others. Tried and true way. We've had a lot of guests talk about that. Definitely agree. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's go. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at funnatflip.com forward slash best ever. 
That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. BestEverConference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to BestEverConference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read. The best ever book that I've read was The Psychology of Selling by Brian Tracy. Best ever personal growth experience. What did you learn from it? Definitely moving to Texas. It made me realize that I actually could be, I was ready to be financially independent and stop working full time in my business. I would never have realized that if I had stayed in Massachusetts. Best ever deal you've done? The best ever deal, I've pretty much talked about almost all of my deals already. Um, (laughs) I'm split between the one where I foreclosed against the bank and took that. I just love the idea behind it. How how, how Uh, do you do do that exactly? Through the state, the bank wouldn't maintain the property, and the state has health codes to maintain. The municipality basically says, this property is terrible. Fix it, or we're going to get somebody else to fix it and give them a lien on the house. The bank refused to fix it, so they have a list of people. I had put myself on this list. They put a list of people who are qualified to do the work. I went in. I got the lien. I hired all the right people, got all the work done, and then I had a lien. That was a higher position than what the bank had. (laughs) Oh, I I do love that. And you mentioned it earlier. I just didn't hear it right for whatever reason. I <laughs> I should have I should have asked you earlier when you mentioned it. Okay, so that's best ever deal. And what was the other one? I interrupted you. My second deal because I got it for so cheap, mm-hmm. basically less than half of the value. That was probably my best money maker. Best ever way you like to give back? Honestly, the way that I like to give back most is I try to teach my friends and family and try to convince them and and other people about financial independence and just being responsible with money. I think that's kind of the, in my group of people and everybody I know, there's a lot of very financially responsible people or they just might earn a lot, but they spend way too much. And so I just try to help people be more financially responsible. What's another mistake that you've made in real estate that you haven't mentioned? Another mistake that I haven't mentioned that was the big mistake that I was going to use on your lightning round was hiring family. I would say caught me off guard. I don't have anything right now. Has there been something with a project that you didn't realize its full potential? I did a flip, so I didn't mention any flips that I'd ever done. I did a couple flips before getting out of it, and I didn't enjoy them. I made a couple of mistakes just on hiring contractors with the flips. Actually, that's a really good advice. There was a contractor that was hired by a really big community development corporations in the area, and they renovate whole neighborhoods. And I found a contractor through there, hired him for a project, and I didn't do any further vetting on him because I assumed that this 
great company had already done all the vetting and I got totally screwed. I lost a lot of money. The deal overall, I still broke even, but I probably lost $20,000 because of that bad contractor. Mm. What specifically would you do to vet the contractor? Right. Well, now I have a lot better feel and if contractors are blowing a lot of smoke, giving you BS. So I have that a lot more experience behind it, but I would definitely have checked into their licensing a little better and understood because they had one set of licensing, but not another set of licensing. I didn't realize that. Massachusetts is complicated like that. So there was that. I would have had better contracts that were, had much more specificity in it because sometimes it came up exactly what was supposed to be done for work. So I got nickel and dimed on that a little bit. And I don't believe anymore that one contractor can do everything, even if it's a group of three or four people. So they did a great work in some areas and very terrible work in other areas. So I would have probably subcontracted out to more people during that time and then vetted them for, say, floors versus sanding floors and redoing floors versus remodeling the kitchen. I had different contractors. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? My website, idealrei.com, or you can shoot me an email, eric.bolin at idealrei.com. Eric, love having this conversation with you. I'm sure a lot of the best ever listeners thought it was very inspirational as well as helpful in certain tactical elements. One, just knowing how you approach the overall strategy of acquiring this many units. It was getting your hands dirty initially and then developing systems with certain team members doing the value add creation through renovations and then getting the right loans to help support the cause along the way and then testing things out seeing what works what doesn't work and just keep on rolling and now focused on larger properties in 2017 and i wish you the best of luck hope you have a best ever day my friend and we'll talk to you soon Thanks. Hey, I really appreciate you having me on. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.